Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network Live. We're brought to you by the makers of Mio Alpha, the world's first strapless, continuous heart rate monitor sports watch, and Vitargo, the world's best fueling and recovery nutrition for athletes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? You're planning to run your first marathon, your half marathon, 10K, or just interested in fitness? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I've been doing a little bit of homework and learning as much as I can about you. And, uh, you know, the reason I connected with you to begin with is I was having a conversation with Hunter McIntyre. Okay, yeah. A lot of of great things to say about you. Oh, good. (laughs) That's always a good thing when uh, Hunter's got good things to say about somebody. So So, uh, what... uh, what I find uh, interesting is that you're you're looking to transition out of ultra running, possibly full time into obstacle racing. Well, I don't. I wouldn't say that. I would. I I'm I'm planning on doing both. Um, you know, I, I like both, and both really kind of interest me and stuff. And I've been. I mean, I've been doing ultras now for quite a few years, and you know, just with the just the all the whole obstacle racing scene really popping up and stuff, it's exciting and I like that side of the sport and it's a lot of fun too. Um probably not gonna go into a full time is the ultra running still um a good option for me, but uh, I definitely, you know, plan on continuing to do some of the obstacle racing and stuff. Well I've been noticing that there seems to be a trend in uh ultra marathoners that are looking at getting more involved in obstacle racing. Would you suggest that Part of the reason behind that is that the, the opportunity for earning is 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 becoming so entertaining. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's why a lot of a lot of people, a lot of you know, elite athletes, runners, um, crossfitters in general, are kind of looking into into obstacle racing. I mean, they see that it's it, it has some potential to be really fun, first of all, and then uh, second of all, they look at you know what the prize structures are in some of these races and. And it, I think it kind of catches people off guard, and people are then you know get pretty excited about trying one of these to see if they can kind of break into some of the money and um, make that you know just another way that they can make a little bit of a little bit of money on the side. And uh, it's definitely you know taken off in the last couple of years, and there's huge prize money in some of these races now. Um, and you know it's just it can be an option for some of these ultra runners because some of these races are pretty darn long. So. Yeah, well, I would guess that just the the return on the investment, so to speak, uh, in the obstacle racing looks a lot more appealing than uh, what you could potentially earn for doing, for example, a fifty a fifty mile or a hundred mile race. I mean, that's just a lot of work, and doesn't seem to be that there is nearly as much uh, reward financially in, in that type of racing. Yeah, I mean, the the prize money certainly has not caught up um, in ultra running to even where it is now in obstacle racing. And most of that is because of the participation numbers um, in obstacle racing are huge. And so sponsors have a lot more opportunity to get their their name out to um, to participants because there's so many more of them. And so, I mean, that definitely, you know, well, go ahead. I was going to say that uh, the what I think is interesting about it is that 
it, it, it basically covers all facets. I mean, you can do a sprint race one week and then, or, or even in, in a day, and then the following day do something a little longer and, you know, be able to get paid similar amounts of money uh, if you win, and, and, and even though it might be a shorter day for you. Right. And then, yeah, it can be a huge payoff in a really short race. Like, I had the experience at the Warrior Dash. But at the same time, I think a lot of those runners, though, that are coming out for some of these races, are figuring out that it's not all about that running element. I mean, you can't just be a fast runner um, at most of these races. Um, and you, you certainly can't be a, a, you know, a little bit slower, just an ultra racer, um, like an ultra runner that maybe is a little bit slower because a lot of these take a lot of power and speed. Um, and Hunter's a really good example. It's like the guy's not as much of a runner. He's a really good, he's, he's strong. He's really strong, but he has such an incredible engine um, and 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 power when he's running that he can keep up with the best of them. He can keep up with me out there, um, whereas I cannot keep up with him when you're talking about a, a really weight-heavy obstacle, something like that. And so guys like him yeah, gives I, him I'm, I'm actually advantage. working with Hunter right now. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm that's training you mentioned that. Yeah. And uh, well, what I found interesting about him is he he identifies the polar opposite problem is is that you know he he knows that he has the strength to dominate the shorter events and um, he fears that you know the longer the event becomes the more potential danger there is for the guys that are uh, you know fleet of feet and have the endurance. Yeah, I mean yes and no, but as you go through those longer events uh, like the Spartan World Championship and stuff all of that strength-heavy stuff really starts to weigh on guys who are smaller that are used to just running like me. And so that, that becomes an issue later in the race, uh, whereas, you know, like we can get through like a little bit shorter race. Um, we can get through the strength-heavy obstacles because we can do it for a little bit. But after a while, we really start to wear down. Um, and, I mean, that's the problem with the running side of things for him as well. You know, the longer it goes, the harder he's going to have, the harder time he's going to have. Um, at the running side of it. So I, I think what I like about the obstacle racing is that uh, one day you do a sprint race and it, it favors a guy like me. The next day you do like a, a five to 10 mile race and it favors a guy like Hunter. And then you go up to a 13 mile race uh, that's going to be four hours long and it favors a guy like Ryan Alvin from um, from the UK. It's Everybody is, uh, it, you throw one obstacle in there and it completely changes the dynamic of the field. And so that allows somebody else to win. So it's not always the same person or same two people winning all of these different races, races. And it's, it's, that's what's cool about it, I think. Well, I think the other thing about it that's interesting or cool is that um, it's, it's kind of uncharted territory right now. There's, there doesn't seem to be a prescription for the particular size or training regimen of an individual. Um, you, you don't, nobody really quite has a handle on what elements of training they need to focus on the most, and they're all kind of fetching around to, to figure out what the, the template is for training. So I, I think that's kind of interesting uh, in that regard, is because the sport is relatively new. I mean, it's not been around so long that we've got this thing wired, right? No, I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. seems like, you know, if you have 10 guys and that, you know, finishing 1 through 10, they all have a completely different training plan. And there, there's nobody really that's, I would say, figured it out yet. Um, and I don't know that anybody will. I mean, there's so many different body types that can win these types of races that um, they all have to be kind of really individualized training plans for them. And 
And that's, you know, that's something that's interesting. It's like you can't take somebody off the street and say, okay, you're a good runner. We're going to throw some strength at you and make you a good obstacle racer. I just don't think that it works like that. No. So have you have you made any adjustments to the way you would normally train? Uh, I've made a few. You know, I've throughout the summer and stuff, I did. I definitely threw in more um, more weight training and stuff, and uh, with a little bit heavier weight. Um, it it paid off in that I was able to make it through the Spartan um, the Spartan World Championship, but it still it still threw me for a loop. I wasn't quite ready for how hard and how difficult and how strength heavy that race was actually going to be, and so definitely didn't have it dialed in. Um, but in a shorter race, you know, maybe like a five to eight mile race or something like that, I probably would have been a little bit faster on a race like that. Um, just after this, after the training throughout the summer. So, so well, there's, I have, there's been uh, some, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say there's been some changes in my training, but not, um, not too significant. I mean, I'm still focusing pretty heavily on running. stuff. So, so th- there's been a, seems to be, there's been a, a lot of buzz in the the whole diet regimen for a lot of these uh, ultra and um, heavy endurance athletes in respect to getting into this low carb high fat kind of diet have you have you tiptoed into that or any thoughts on that or is there any particular uh, style of eating that you've you've got have adopted yeah I'm glad you asked that actually I've had quite a few people um, just approach me about that lately like are you a high fat kind of guy you know that kind of question um, and just wondering like what's the whole high fat diet all about and everything. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's really figured it out. There's some guys that have gone over to that side uh, as, as far as having a high fat diet pretty heavily. Um, me, myself, I'm still a high carb guy. And, um, I've, I did a, uh, like kind of a little nutrition study last spring and sent my data in and they definitely, I was still like definitely on the high, high carbohydrate side of things uh, and stuff. The one thing I I have changed a little bit is um, I've started adding in um, the last probably two years or so, I've been adding in some more kind of like healthy oils and a little bit more fat in my diet, not being afraid to eat eat things like, you know, just like my snacks are nuts and fruits and, and smoked salmon and stuff like that, which, you know, obviously have high fat content to them. And so I've changed a little bit of that stuff as far as like I've, I've added more fats and stuff into my diet, but I'm still very, I still rely heavily on carbs and it's healthy carbs. I mean, it's not, you know, your really simple carbs and stuff, but I'm definitely still relying on those carbs. Um, but through Flora, who's one of my sponsors, um, they make a lot of these oils and stuff. And so I use a, um, an oil called seven sources and it's, it's got, you know, omega three, six, and nine, um, and stuff like that in there. And, um, I, I really felt like that is uh, kind of up my game when it comes to an ultra and allowed me to get through, through an ultra by utilizing a little bit more of my fat content and stuff. And that's been, that's been interesting to see that change going from a really high, um, a really high carb burner like in 2011 up to, to where I'm, I'm more like normal now where I, I burn a fraction of, um, fat and carbohydrates, um, during some of these longer longer races and stuff. So it's definitely changed my diet a little bit, and, but I'm still, you know, still relying on those carbs. So. Well, I've just, you know, it's been fascinating to me and I, I've been really digging into it lately because, um, it, you know, I mean, uh, I'm always, I'm always a student of the art and I, I'm always trying to learn as much as I possibly can. 
And, you know, I'm reading these guys are taking in like minimal calories during an event that would, you know, be an event that would require a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah. And they're getting through it. And I just don't, you know, there it, it causes you to pause and take a look at it and try to figure out what it's all about. And I just listened to a, a podcast the other day with uh, Tim Noakes, who, you know, the author of The Laura Running. And yep. you know, he's really banging the drum hard about this really low carbohydrate diet and really high fat carbohydrate diet and okay. suggesting that, you know, it, it comes down to whether you're, uh, you're insulin uh, sensitive um, in respect to your, 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 your carbohydrate intake. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just really, it's interesting to me. And I, I know I was looking at, you know, some guys on a thread in Facebook that were talking about these uh, highly restrictive diets that they're putting themselves on and uh, training regimens where, you know, these forced bonks, I'm sure you've seen it, yep. where, you know, they're doing a whole bunch of training behind no food. And then following right. up with you know, literally no food again into the following day and then just really beating themselves down to, um, you know, suggesting that they're going to cause their body to be more fat adaptive. And I just, it's kind of scary to me. Yeah. And I don't know. I think the jury's still out. And it's interesting that some of these guys are willing to try it at least, you know, and see if, see if something like that is going to work. Um, you know, it's like doing research on yourself and, and all of us runners are kind of a, uh, you know, a research project of an end of one. And um, it's, you know, we're we're our own subjects and we try things out on ourselves all the time to try and figure out what's going to work the best for us. And so, I mean, it's there's something to be said for, you know, doing all that experimentation and stuff. And, and it, it actually allows us to, you know, allows guys like Tim to kind of go back and, and say, okay, this worked for this guy. Now is this going to, is this more of a, underlying principle that we need to look at a little bit more closely and actually try a bigger a bigger study on it and stuff so it allows us to kind of further the sport you know that way yeah well i don't know i uh i'd rather watch somebody else uh get beat down over it <laughs> and then learn <laughs> well, from yeah that as me too <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, it's I not just, in a racing in a racing uh, situation or you know in a competitive season where you know your essentially your livelihoods depending on performance you know it'd be a little edgy to try something crazy like that yeah uh, so, and you know. know it's i don't know i mean for for some of the guys it's it's their you know it's their livelihood and stuff some of them it isn't but i think you know you got to you got to kind of look at what you're doing in training and and realize that what you're doing in training is not going to be the same as as what you do in a race and stuff and you can never really simulate a race in training um at least that's what i've found and stuff and so um like i've i've kind of experimented with you know on my long runs and stuff for example i'll go out and i'll just i'll eat when i need to eat and i once in a while i'll kind of bonk a little bit i'll eat something and then i'll come back from that and so I'm pretty low low calorie on my long runs, but I'm running at a little bit lower intensity than I would be during a race. And so, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna regiment my my nutrition plan during a long run the same way I am during a race um, because I'm, I'm it's totally different. You're you're not going at the same intensity as you are during a race and stuff. So, you know, during a race I have to be on it, and you're you're on a schedule. At least for me, I'm on a schedule of when I eat and stuff and making sure that I'm taking care of my body so that I get to the finish line as, as fast as I can. Um, and in training, it's always a little bit different. I'm, I'm working on a particular aspect that day of, 
you know, whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing. And if I am working on nutrition that day, then I will be, you know, kind of on a schedule, but usually my long runs and stuff, I'm, I'm on a schedule of, or I'm on, you know, the program of just getting in that long run and, and being on my feet for a long time. So, mm. so, um, what I found really interesting about you, just kind of looking at your bio and the, and the type of things you've done and the races you've won and, you know, your, your PRs and different events, I found there's a really interesting um, parallel between your capabilities and uh, Joseph Gray. Mm-hmm. You guys seem to be almost brethren of, of, of abilities. You know, your, your 10K time is very, very similar to his. Your marathon time, very similar to his. You're both excelling in these in these ultra events. Um, and what are your thoughts on that? I, I just noticed that the way he came up with, with his training and racing, you know, you know, track and field in high school, right on up through to what he's doing these days, very similar to what you're doing. Do you think that there's something to it? I mean, um, the ability to run fast on these, on these mountain races, do you attribute your ability to do that to the, the track and field history? Yeah, I mean, so Joe and I, I mean, we've raced a ton and stuff, especially at the mountain running championships and stuff like that. And, you know, we are actually pretty similar. He's he's a much better climber than I am. Um, I'm good on the downhills. Um, and, you know, but we're similar similar types and type of, of speed and, and stuff like that, marathon, 10K, you know, like you said. Um, and I think, you know, looking at people who have come up through the sport from that kind of a, pedigree that kind of a a track and road background they definitely have um a little bit of an edge for the guys who don't and you look at the guys who don't have that have that advantage or that pedigree and um those are guys i mean a lot of those guys do really well at the 100 mile distance but you're not seeing a lot of those guys do very well when you get up to 50 miles now or or 50k uh, because they just don't have the speed there to compete anymore uh, because a lot of these track guys have, have come up, um, like myself and Joe and stuff, and and they're learning. I mean, we're figuring out how to get our body through a 50-miler. I'm not saying everybody that does track and that's fast can actually, you know, convert that over to a 50-miler, but some of these guys can. Um, and and they're figuring out that you can run a 50-miler um, pretty quick now. And so that's changed the game a little bit up to about a 50-mile distance. Over that, 100 miles, I mean, you still see that really long aspect of, um, you know, how how well they take care of themselves, how well they burn fat. All of that physiological stuff comes into play a lot more than your just pure speed does. Um, but I would say that, you know, yeah, I think we do have a little bit of an advantage if you come from that background of learning how to make yourself go fast, learning how to make your body the most efficient that you can, and then just that that pain side of things, that pain tolerance of learning how to make your body hurt um, comes from that track background and stuff too. So. Um, do, do you ever uh, employ heart rate with your training? I do, yeah. I, I rely on heart rate quite a bit. Um, I don't really look at it all the time on, say, like easy days or hard days, but when it comes down to a tempo run or something like that, where heart rate, you just have to be in that right zone. That's where I really rely on it quite a bit. And I've done that for years. And then um, I recently um, got a sponsorship uh, from Polar the last couple of years and now Sunto. And um, working with heart rate monitor and stuff um, has just helped me kind of track everything. Um, That way it it logs onto the computer. um, 
and you can actually, you know, see what your heart rate was and everything else. Before that, I used to kind of log everything on with pen and paper. And I'm, I'm, you know, I love having those training logs to look back on and stuff, but I never really have that heart rate data to see where I was, what pace I was running at a given heart rate and, or to see like, you know, what I was running for my tempo runs and stuff like that. And so now it's kind of nice to be able to log all that stuff and, and have that information um, just at my, at my fingertips basically. So yeah, I mean, definitely use heart rate and I think it's pretty valuable. And I try to get as many people on that program as possible because, you know, if you're just starting out or something like that, you really need to make sure that you're staying in that easy heart rate zone. And it's really important not to go above that. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really kind of understand that. And when you're first starting out running, it's really easy to get your heart rate up um, really into a kind of a level that it probably shouldn't be where you're going too hard. So. Well, yeah, I trust me when I tell you, I've spent the past 20 years banging that drum. And, and you know, <laughs> my principal business is VO2 testing. So I, I absolutely, you know, I mean, I ask everyone I get on the show whether they, they follow heart rate. And I'm surprised at how many athletes don't. And I think that yeah. it's absolutely leaving something off the table when you when you don't when you don't have grip on the cost of work, you know, what it's costing you to create the work you're doing, um, you're, you're really kind of blind. And so I, yeah. I absolutely believe. Yeah, go. Yeah. I mean, it's go like ahead. a cyclist, you know, or something riding without a power meter and stuff. And when you get up to a certain level, I mean, I, I think everybody should, but it, once you get up to a certain level, I mean, having that data, that other piece of data that um, kind of gives you so many different aspects of, of your training, you know, how hard you're working, how much recovering, um, you know, whether you're in the right zone for the day and you're getting the purpose out of the workout that you want to, all of that information. I mean, I, I'm surprised that people still don't use heart rate for, for their training. So. Well, yeah, I mean, as you suggested, being able to, to track all these metrics, I mean, you're getting you're getting the whole picture. You're getting a chance to see what the cost of the work was relative to the pace, the distance, and the, the common uh, volume of training you've, you've put in through the week, the month, the year, and then mm-hmm. you, you learn from it. Everything that you see there, you, you get to learn from it. And yeah. you know, it used to be, I first started getting into heart rate training in, in the early 80s when they, when they first came you know, to light. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it, w- it was like, you know, carrying this big brick on my wrist. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and what I would do is I'd go out and, you know, I, did, I didn't really do anything other than look down at the heart rate to see what it was relative to the effort I put in. And then I started to get this correlation of, well, when I, when I spent, you know, over an hour or so at 170 beats per minute, I was really in the bag the following day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a lesson in itself. I just said, well, don't do that because you won't be able to run tomorrow. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, you know, obviously gotten a little bit more intelligent about it since. Uh, but have you ever had a VO2 test done? Yeah. Yeah. I have. I've, I've done a couple over the years and stuff. I usually try to do one about every two years or so. And what kind of numbers are you seeing? Um, you know, the last time I was in, um, VO2 max was right around 7980. Um, that's where it's been for quite a while. Um, you know, lactate threshold is right around 168 to 169. Uh, at least that's what it was up uh, in 2013. So, you know, stuff like that. You do. You do for another test. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, and what you I've noticed over the it. years, I know, and, and what I've noticed over the years, well, and the, the difference between the last two is actually really interesting because uh, two uh, about 2011, like I was saying. 
um, basically from the start of the test, me going at a very easy pace, I was basically all carbs, um, burning completely carbohydrates, no fat at all. Um, and then between then and 2013, about a year and a half later, I, you know, basically I was kind of focusing on slowing some of my easy runs down. And then I started on the, the flora oils and stuff like that. And so I changed a little bit of my diet and went back in 2013 and then got that fat, the fat burning uh, efficiency up, like for me, way up. And for, you know, it's, but it's fairly, it's kind of in that normal range now. And so that was really oh, interesting cool. to see those those changes in the, the two years, basically, that I had between those tests. And then, you know, over over time, like, I've noticed, like, for me now, getting my heart rate up to, like, what I need for that for that threshold run, it's a lot harder. And I'm not seeing numbers, like, my, my max numbers up in the 180s anymore either. So, I mean, or, you know, obviously, because your max heart rate kind of comes down about a beat, beat per year. And at least that's what I'm seeing, so... Well, you, you're going to find too that as you as your efficiency improves, then you're not going to see those big heart rates anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I've got guys that I've worked with that I've tested, and you know, their common running pace might, you know, for example, run at around 160 beats per minute to produce like a six-minute pace, and then I was able to produce uh, through training 140 beats per minute to get the same yield. And they're mm-hmm. barking about it, going, gosh, I can't get my heart rate up anymore. I said, well, why do you want to? Your heart rate's indicating <laughs> that you're, you're spending more calories. I mean, yeah. you're, you're able to create the same work without having to spend more money. It's, it's just better. So, you yeah. know, look at that. I mean, aside from the physiological dampening of your heart rate over time, just think that, you know, if you're able to produce the work at less cost, that's, that's bingo. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. That's what you want is you want to be able to run that same pace with a lower heart rate, and that's kind of the goal of training. So I, I see, uh, by the way, congratulations on your win at the World uh, Championships in Qatar. What was that like, I mean, to, to race over there? Oh, I mean, that was it was interesting. Not as, I guess, not as interesting as what I was envisioning it to be. Um, and so I went over... Um, Doha is a you know big city and stuff, and and I've talked to a couple other people that have been there and stuff, and and we're all kind of like, yeah, it was. I mean, it's a big city and kind of like anywhere else in the world, and so it wasn't super interesting as far as like your culture, yeah, cultural experience goes and stuff. But I mean, I do have to say, like where we were staying uh, was immaculate. It was this sports compound called the Aspire Zone, and. Um, they basically built it for the Asian Games a couple of years ago, and right on the thing is a five-star hotel, it's this huge tower. They have several stadiums, and one of the domes that we went in had an indoor track. It had four other kind of indoor courts and a full-size soccer pitch inside. And I mean, that that's the nicest sports wow. complex I have ever seen. So that was pretty incredible when we were staying kind of in that whole area. We did get to go downtown a little bit. Um, but you know it's a big city and and not a lot um, not a lot of really interesting cultural things going on. Um, but it was cool to be there and you know came away with it with a good win and a good race. So I was happy about that. I, I read that there was uh, some some bizarre shifts in surfaces that you have to uh, race over. Yeah, and circuit, you know, we had right? about yeah it was it was really I, I wouldn't say the greatest course ever. <laughs> It was, um, you know, half of it, about half of it was tile and pavers, and about half of it was kind of asphalt. 
And the, the pavers were the worst part. You'd kind of go around every lap. You're like, oh, back to the pavers. And it was kind of uneven and stuff. And by the end of the race, I mean, in the 60 miles on, on a hard surface like that, you're really starting to feel your feet. And that was the section that you're just kind of going over like, oh, can't wait till this section is done. And then you get onto an asphalt section, and that was kind of like the part you were looking forward to every lap because that was like the nice soft section. And then you get to the tiles, and they're smooth, but they're super hard, um, and they just beat your legs up. And so you really started to feel that by the end of the race, too. And, and everybody, you know, this was my first 100K on a road, so I didn't really have much to compare it to. But everybody else that I've talked to says, you know, look, if you have a, a 10K course without a whole bunch of out and backs and a nice soft asphalt surface, it, it's just a whole different game. And so that was kind of interesting in knowing that, you know, the course plays into that quite a bit. And everybody said, oh, this course is going to be quite a bit slower than anything we've ever run before um, because of the surfaces, but also because there were three outbacks on this 5K loop. And so, you know, you're making 60, about 60, 180 degree, or 90, yeah, 180 degree turns uh, during the race. And so they just figured it'd be a lot slower than, than what they were used to, so... So do you, do you see a lot of variability in the, the volume on your training on a weekly basis leading up to an event? I mean, when you're when you're getting geared up for the long stuff, do you do you put in more mileage and lower intensity? And and when you're, for example, you had mentioned to me that you're planning on running the LA Marathon. Does that have influence over the way you're approaching the race? Because I'm assuming that what you're hoping to do is, is obviously. Yeah, it will change um, change things, change the way I kind of train and stuff. And like leading up to the 100K. You know, I tried to increase my mileage a little bit. It was kind of tough because I, I was kind of limited on time. And so I didn't have a lot of weeks, but I had a couple of weeks up at around uh, 110. I would have liked to have been about 120 miles a week, um, but I just wasn't able to get up there. So I had a little bit of increased mileage. Um, I was trying to keep um, some of the harder tempo runs and really kind of the hard, uh, fast, long runs in uh, kind of at race pace. And that was what I was able to get get in as I got a 30-miler a in, a 25-miler in, and a couple of 20-milers at race pace and on the road. And so I feel like that really helped. Um, and then going into the marathon, um, kind of work specifically on what I'm going to need there, which is going to be, you know, longer tempo runs at race pace there, um, some, you know, some long runs on the road to get my efficiency up, and then some just some basic track work, too, to work on that efficiency uh, and make sure that I can, you know, that faster, faster speed feels nice and comfortable. So I'm always kind of changing training to, to be, uh, you know, kind of focused on the next big event that I have and, and make sure that I'm hitting some of those, some of those key things that I'm going to need for those while always kind of keeping in that, that basic, uh, basic formula and the fundamentals of training. So. Well, it seems like you do a lot of racing, and and when you do a lot of racing at variable distances, it would seem like it'd be really tough to to stay spot on with a particular event. It's a, it's a big challenge, huh? Yeah, and you know, obviously, I think that I probably missed some of that. Um, really being very in tune to those particular races, like if I was racing marathons for years, you know, obviously, I think I would I would hit some times that are a little bit better. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people have said to me, you know, if you would just focus, you'd be a great whatever, steeplechase runner or marathoner. But it's like, yeah, but if I focused, I wouldn't even be running now because it would be boring to me. And so, like, that's that's what's happened in the past is I'll, I'll really focus on something for a little while. And I just get completely burnt out on it and, and really kind of lose my interest in, in continuing to run. And 
And I've, I've noticed over the years that if I were to actually try to do that, like some of these marathoners where they race two races a year, maybe three and with a tune-up race or something, I, I just wouldn't be running anymore. It just wouldn't be as much fun to me. And I mean, I love racing yeah. everything. I love racing yeah, obstacle that, races now. Yeah, so. yeah that, that's really a good point you made. I think I could see where that would happen if you you know you break it up and do very various things and it just keeps the whole thing entertaining. Like I, you know, the, I guess the struggle with it, uh, and I, I hate to sound like a, such a capitalist, but you know, I mean, you're doing this when when you have to focus so much attention in your training, it it becomes a job. I mean, it, you you really don't have time for other things. You you, you know, it becomes your 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 career, your occupation. As a professional athlete, um, you know, always at the back of your mind, you have to think about putting food on the table. So you, you know, you're looking at being able to obviously, um, you know, have enough success where sponsors want to come on board with you, but at the same time, you want to win these events so you can you can get those purses. So obviously, winning is obvious is the challenge, right? You got you got to be you got to be on uh, uh, you know you got to be spot on for every event you you approach. So. Uh, I could see why, in one regard, someone would focus on a particular event so that they become sharp and they, they're, they're successful. But at the same time, you know, just from a standpoint of the boredom, I mean, you, you, you know, you really want to you want to have you want to have fun with what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I always felt like. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just I was, gonna I was say... just going to say. <laughs> Sorry. Please do. Uh, I was just gonna say, like, it just—I th- I think it keeps it fun and, and keeps me motivated to go to the next event and stuff. And really, I—it keeps me training harder by changing things up every once in a while. And y- you know, from your background and stuff, that training is training, basically. And as long as you're doing the fundamentals, um, then you can kind of—you uh, can kind of focus on something for a little while and become a little bit sharper at that, while keeping the underlying training principles and and really still being in very good shape. So, and that's kind of what I ascribe to. So the, uh, I, I, we talked about it briefly, uh, through communication, this, this, um, this, uh, Spartan race cruise coming up in March. It's too bad. You're not going to be able to make that. Yeah, I did get invited to it. Um, but with it being a week before that LA marathon, I just really want to focus on that marathon and make sure that I'm, I'm top of the top of my game for that. And, so I just figured that you know a cruise as much as as much fun as it sounds um i I just need to focus on that a little bit, and so I decided to put that off for a bit so yeah it just it sounded to me like a, a pretty entertaining uh uh event be, to be able to get on a cruise, head off to some island in the Bahamas, and then do a little sprint race and then come home i mean yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love especially right now i mean i'm a wuss when it comes to the weather i gotta be honest with you we were out training this morning and it was like uh, i suppose with a little bit of wind it was probably about 28 degrees and i was freezing my butt off i couldn't wait to get out of it get out of the outside yeah. you know yeah and that's um, what it is here too so yeah well you live that way you live in oregon man yeah. i'm in southern california 28 here is like you know five below everywhere else oh <laughs> that's you, right yeah i know you guys have had a cold snap lately. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I mean, I'm used to you know. I mean, I, I think two weeks ago it was 80 degrees. You know, yeah, and it just out of the blue, it, it it came down on us. So I don't know. I I just I was thinking, man, how do you guys do this stuff? You know, I was reflecting on uh, these guys that did this toughest mutter uh, a while back, where yeah, you know, it's one thing to to be rolling around in about 30 degrees, but it's a whole other thing to have to jump into a lake. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Times. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, that's, that's I'm a wuss when it comes to the cold too, and that's a little bit too cold for me. So. Yeah, well, uh, you know, welcome to obstacle racing. I think that's going to be the. Are you, are you going to be in Temecula? Are you coming down for the the races that are coming up uh, in yeah. a couple weeks? Yeah, I'm planning on being in the at the Atlas race in Temecula, uh, which is I think February 28th. Which race? Uh, the Atlas race. Okay, uh, Atlas race. Now, is that the uh, is is that uh, considered the super? I mean, distance wise. No, so the Atlas race is actually a different race than the Spartan. Um, so oh, okay. you know, you have Spartan and you have Tough Mudder, and this is Atlas. So Atlas puts on their own series, um, and okay. one of the races is going to be in Temecula down there too. But they're kind of they're based out of Medford, um, and they're kind of just getting started this year. I'm going to have about uh, I think about ten races right now on the schedule, kind of all around the kind of the Western U.S. And uh, but great races, kind of somewhere in between, like your Warrior Dash and your your Spartan race, um, as far as difficulty goes. And um, they're just they're, you know just a great race to get into, and good good obstacles, uh, well put on stuff like that. So I w- I wasn't even aware of them. Um, but that's that's interesting, uh, and and I think that that's what's going to be the new thing is that you know there's going to have to be a standard in respect to obstacle racing uh, from you know these different factions that are putting on these races. Um, you know, obviously they're going to have their own flavors, but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to come to a place. I mean, I, I came came up when when triathlon was just a fledging sport, and you know, uh, vying to become a professional sport and eventually coming into the Olympics. And I, I, I happen to believe that obstacle racing is going to fall into that type of line where you're going to see this type of event show up in the Olympics, I think, eventually. And so it's going to have yeah. to be, to some, some degree, it's going to be standardized, I think. Yeah, they're definitely making that push to the Olympics and stuff. And for that, then, yeah, in that case, it will be, need to be standardized at some point. I think it's interesting because you can you can have a lot of these little smaller races that people put on to the side and stuff with a lot of different obstacles that are not standardized. And I think that's part of what's interesting about it too, is is a lot of those non-standardized obstacles are going to be kind of the fun ones, I think, that people kind of remember because they're going to be interesting or they're going to be unique to a particular location, you know, a natural-based obstacle or something like that, or or just a an obstacle, you know, that somebody that's putting on the race came up with and stuff. And so I think those are going to be the interesting ones, but I think with, you know, Spartan and, and stuff like that, I think you're going to start to see more of a standardized format in some of those races that it, it, it will be kind of more standardized. Well, what, what I, what I think is interesting is that, um, so far, and I, again, I'm, I'm a novice in respect to how all this is shaken out, but I'm learning. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm surrounding myself with some people that are obviously at the top end of the sport and they're, they're kind of educating me as we go. But, what I think is interesting is, for example, uh, the Spartan races are, are, you know, if you if you've done one in a location one year, the following year it may be the same location, same distance, but the obstacles will radically change. So you really can't, you know, gear yourself up for a particular event and say, well, I, I knew where I I was weak last time, so I'm going to focus on that. Um, and then event, you know, you show up at the event and everything's changed. Yeah. It's a whole other yeah. whole other ball of wax. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta so be I, you gotta be ready for anything. Yeah, and that's tough to do. Incidentally, I think uh, you know, just in retrospect, as a coach and a trainer, I'm I'm thinking of okay, so how do you throw this down? I mean, how do you how do you set up a training table for someone? And basically, you just you you just have to, as you suggested, you have to be ready for anything. And 
Uh, mm-hmm. Upper body strength is is obviously a real critical concern, and and you know flexibility and range of motion and strength throughout a range of motion is really really important as well. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, how do you feel in respect to those challenges with your upper body strength? Is that coming along? Do you feel like that's something you've always had, or do you feel like this is something that you really have to work on? Um, you know, I would say I have more than your average runner. Um, but you put me up against somebody like Hunter and all of a sudden I look like a, a 40 pound weakling. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting and I can work on things a little bit and I've been working on it throughout the year and stuff. So it's just getting my basic strength up, being able to do more pull-ups, more push-ups, that kind of thing with the upper body strength and trying at the same time not to put on any, any real muscle mass or anything either. Um, but you know, just trying to become stronger and stuff and, um, that, that Spartan race kind of made me realize, okay, I need to really work on some of these aspects. Like I have some of them. Okay. Like I can, I can do the bucket carry and stuff like that. But by the end of the race, because of those other things, I'm losing all of my grip strength. And so then I can't do like the, the real functional stuff that I should be able to do like the monkey bars just because my grip strength is gone. And so I've got to start working on things like that. Um, things that are a little more specific and everything. Wow. Uh, you know, I had not not ever really thought about the fatigue that, that kind of uh, uh, manifests over time in in just simply you know, your grip strength. I mean, forget about large muscles. I mean, you just being able to hang on, right? Right. And you know, I can do the monkey bars a couple of times, pretty darn easy. But you put me through four hours of racing and a couple of bucket carries and and tire tire drags and stuff like that, and all of a sudden grip strength is gone, and I can't even can't even do the monkey bars anymore. So it's stuff that should be easy for me to do. I can't do it at the end of one of these long races. So, well, I know that uh, uh, I did an interview with Nicodemus Holland a, a while back, uh, just after he, you know, he was successful in the Tour de Giants, and uh, you know, he was pretty high on on that. And obviously, that was quite a quite a remarkable feat uh, for him to, you know, first American uh, to podium uh, at, at that event, and mm-hmm. then decided, you know, he's going to turn his attention towards obstacle racing and went and did the toughest mutter and it just beat him down. And I think he was a little taken back by that. So I don't know whether yeah. he's readdressing his, his, uh, his call or, or, you know, maybe, uh, readjusting the way he's going to approach his training. But, um, you know, as an endurance athlete, I think he was, he was a little taken back by how difficult that race actually was. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's, it's a completely different sport. And I think, that's what's interesting is a lot of guys are going to start to get into this who are good runners and say, oh, I'll be fine. And all of a sudden they get into it and they realize that they don't, A, either have the strength for it or B, don't have, basically they don't have the balls for it. And yeah. cause it takes, it, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. And, uh, like I was, I was telling somebody at, at um, the, uh, warrior dash a couple of months ago, like basically you were bombing down a hill on a, like a dirt road as fast as you could. And you had barbed wire coming up that you had to crawl under basically. So a lot of these, a lot of guys will kind of stop, drop, roll through it. And it's like, yeah, you can do that. And it's going to be fairly quick. And then, you know, for me, I mean, I was in the lead. I wanted to make sure that I was going to win this thing. So as I was flying down the hill, I just laid down on the gravel and basically did a, a slide like a baseball slide underneath the barbed wire all the way through it got up the other oh, side man. and took off again and so it's throwing your body out there and knowing that you know tomorrow your body is going to hurt but 
in the moment right now, I got to get through this and I got to, you got to be in the lead. And so it's, it's putting your body out there too, to some extent and risk. So you, you, you risk a little. Tossed, you tossed yourself into a baseball slide underneath the barbed wire. Yeah. You, I mean, you do what you got to do to get through these obstacles as fast as possible. And sometimes it means a little bit of bodily harm and injury and, Oh boy, the next day it hurt. Oh, and the shower that night. I mean, my entire side was just, it was just road rash and chewed up and everything else. So that hurt. No, I'm, you know, I'm getting too old for even thinking about something like that. That's just crazy. (laughs) You don't, you don't have to do it that way. I'm not saying that, but. Well, I mean, you, you, you made a good point, you know, because you took that chance, it got you underneath it quicker and it, you know, the result is you win, right? (laughs) Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the a lot of the distance runners and stuff out there, they're just I mean they're just not willing to do that. So. Yeah, I guess that's what it boils down to is what you're willing to take, right? Yeah, yeah. What you're willing to put up with. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah, so that's kind of fun though. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I could see why this is taking off is because it's got spectator value. I mean, I'm I'm going to be the sucker on the couch who wants to watch it, you know? <laughs> I want to I want to see you guys do that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it'll because, be like yeah, it's going to be like NASCAR and the you're just exactly waiting for right. a wreck to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. We don't, you know, we we don't care about the performance. We want to see the crash. I know you <laughs> want to see the carnage of the barbed wire and stuff like that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's it's why like, it's going to catch on. Well, you know, watching a marathon is like, you know, it's like watching grass grow for the most part. Oh, I, I, I hate to say I it, but at the end of the day, that's not a spectator sport. I mean, uh, yeah. or even a triathlon for that matter. I mean, you, you know, I, I I made a living in triathlon in the early days. And the, the notion of trying to watch that sport is just, oh, God, I mean, you can't you can't do it live. You know, you're not going to you're not going to sit there and go, all right, they're out of the water. Uh, we'll see him again in five hours. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just too boring. Um, right. But, you know, not to take away from the effort. I mean, obviously enough, it's it's a tremendous effort, and, and these athletes are, are, are amazing. But uh, from a standpoint of just spectator value, it's just rough. Where you yeah. you could see guys go, you know, thirty minutes hard through, you know, flames and barbed wire and diving into mud and what have you. That's got yeah. a lot. You know, it's got a lot of value. Yeah, I mean, you know, with like triathlon and marathon and running and stuff like that, you've got to know who you're watching in order for it to be interesting and stuff. And so, I mean, the way to increase participation or not participation, but spectators and stuff is to get people interested in the racers. But with obstacle racing and stuff like that, and I was thinking like, you know, back to Ninja Warrior, who you don't care that much about who the people are as much as like, okay, they're doing something that looks really hard. And then they, you know, they either make it and that's great. They have like this, this huge athletic accomplishment or, you know, they fall in the water and it, you, you want to see how they, you know, how they, how they basically crash and burn. And so it's really interesting that obstacle racing is going to be that exact same way as once that starts to get on TV, it's going to be the, the crash and burn that's going to be, you know, the spectator catching. You know, I had a conversation, uh, got a call last night, uh, from, um, Jeff Smith, and Jeff Smith is, you know, famous for his marathon achievements back in, you know, the 80s, and uh, mm-hmm. more, 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 more notably, the, you know, the uh, getting nipped at the the line at the New York Marathon by Rod Dixon. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and these guys really amazing runners. I mean, to this day, I mean, here's a guy that 
you know, he's a 208 marathoner. And, uh, you know, we, you know, he was called me last night because he wanted me to get involved in promoting this uh, half marathon series that they're producing in uh, Rhode Island. And uh, so I said, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do a show with Max King. And he's, and I said, you know, he's, he's looking at to get in, get into obstacle racing and what have you. And he goes, Oh yeah, well you know that's uh, that's going to be interesting for a little while. Then it's going to pass. I said, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I I just really felt like he was he's kind of old guard in respect to you know the the whole racing scene. Uh, and and sure. I just you got to keep your you got to keep your your mind open. And I, I think that you know we're always looking for something new and exciting and different. And, and so yeah. to me it's I look at this and in, in all the history I had in, in in endurance sport I see this as the next thing I think this is going to be a big deal over time and we're going to start seeing more and more money come into the sport and I'm going to see we're going to see uh more and more you know, athletes that are going to be pollinating into the sport from from for example like yourself coming out of uh, ultimately you know a history of trail running and endurance or or uh, ultra running into the sport, uh, and it's going to be funny, or not funny, but interesting to see, you know, who comes to the sport, where they come from, and whether where they came from made a difference. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, and that's uh, that's part of what's interesting. And I hope you're right. I hope that hope the sport sticks around for a while. And uh, there's a lot of people that feel like it may be a fad for a while, and but there's a, a lot of people that also feel like, yeah, this is like we're they're trying to take a mainstream and, and get in the Olympics and do bigger things with it with, uh, as far as, you know, a governing body and, um, you know, series races and stuff like that. So it's, it, you know, it's at least going to stick around for a while and, uh, you know, what, whatever happens to it five years down the road, uh, remains to be seen, but it's, it's definitely around for a while. Long enough for, for you to make a living in it, we hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. That's, that's the key. That's the key. You yeah. want to turn it into the the PGA, man. You want to make make it something. <laughs> okay, that, no, uh, not not the PGA. We don't want to. We don't want to go that route. But <laughs> yeah, I don't golf either. I don't golf. Yeah, either. but I'm maybe just the prize about money the they have in the PGA. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and it's it's funny because I've always said it. It's like you watch some of these sports where these guys are earning scads of money and uh, respectively. Um, not having to really go through the, you know, the stress and the, you know, the mayhem that, that, you know, endurance athletes go through. It's, yeah, I know. And it, I mean, it's definitely different. I, a golfer, I'll give, I'll give them credit. I mean, it takes a lot of skill to be able to do what they do. I mean, I've, I've tried the golf. It's not pretty. And, uh, so what they do is it's a huge athletic accomplishment, but at the same time, you know, it, it's different, you know, and, and it's, it's, definitely puts your body through a lot of stress being an endurance athlete so yeah well i i'm you know i for whatever it's worth i i i'm still in all these years i'm still very much a fan of uh, endurance uh, endeavors and and this is just another one i think i think it's cool stuff and and uh, i promote it so um well look i i uh, i wish you the best of luck in your your races coming up this this month uh and obviously for the rest of the year and I'm sure we're going to end up meeting. Uh, we're going to see you at one of these events. Um, All right. Uh, my, my project these days is obviously to help Hunter get to the world championships uh, with a little bit more capacity for endurance towards the latter part of the race. Good. And uh, if that shakes out, you know, who knows? I might That might be the new thing for me is working with obstacle racers. Yeah, that would be pretty good. 
So I know he's got a lot of potential for sure. He's tough. You know, I yep. got to tell you, he's uh, relatively speaking, uh, you know, looking at a lot of different athletes, he's got a unique uh, set of skills. I mean, uh, for a big guy, he he can run. He runs well yeah. for a big guy. I mean, it's surprising how how fast he is. And and I was I was really surprised when I raced him the first time at how fast he was. Yeah, for a big guy. I think yeah. it was uh, uh, Hobie Call said that he's probably the fastest guy in the world for, from a mile to a marathon for his weight. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that, yep. <laughs> well, again, uh, Max, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you the very best of luck. Uh, well, you, thanks. You, uh, you're going to be in Temecula. You're racing. You're going to own that race, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was definitely I was second <laughs> to Hunter last year. They screwed up the sandbag well, carry, and I race. had to... Was oh, he's not, not coming? No, no, I didn't think he was coming this year. But no, he's ra- he's going to be at Temecula, but he's racing. Uh, he's actually got four events. He's planned uh, for uh, two two races back to back for two weeks. He's going to do oh, the, okay. the sprint and the super Saturday Sunday sprint and the super Saturday Sunday uh, as they're scheduled in Temecula. I think it is that oh, nice. over over the course of that. So you're you're not going to see him, but he's definitely going to be out there doing his thing. Awesome. Good. All right. Well, listen, good luck to you again. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the time. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.